This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Greetings and Merry Christmas. In my extended family, Julie and I have somewhat of a reputation uh, for being a little odd, perhaps a little eccentric, maybe even a little extreme in some of the lifestyle choices that we make, causing an eyebrow to be raised or maybe perhaps deeper beneath the surface uh, concern at some point. Um, so we homeschool our children, and that took a while for my parents to, uh, to accept. We, we also don't own a TV. And generally, we have a very low media culture in our family. And as much as possible in 21st century America, we strive to live a reasonably simple lifestyle. And there was one Christmas seven years ago where I think I just about put my family over the top. And here's the story. So the girls were four. I have twin girls who are now 11, but they were four at the time. Simon was a baby. And we were celebrating with my family. So my parents were there, my brother, his wife, my sister. And we decided that we would open one gift on Christmas Eve and all the rest on Christmas morning. And I knew just the, the gift for the girls. So I went and I picked it out and I handed it to them. And as they pulled back the wrapping and slowly emerged a box of 100 plain white mailing envelopes. And my girls burst out of their seats in, in exultation and jubilation, jumping up and down for joy that would have rivaled the angel choirs of Bethlehem, my family looked on in gaping incredulity. And I think I heard even one of them say, Brett, what have you done? <laughs> Not out of admiration and respect. And I could tell by the looks on their faces they were thinking, there has to be something else in that box. There must be more to the story. <laughs> there were 100 plain white mailing envelopes in that box. And there's more to the story. So the context is that previous to this, in the, in the several months leading up to that, my girls, again, they were four, their favorite game that they had been playing in their imagination was Mailman. And so they would write letters, and they would send and deliver these letters, although not really deliver them, but really they would use my envelopes so that anytime I needed envelopes, there were none. And this caused many a tear to be shed and many a voice to be raised and much conflict in my house over envelopes. And so on Christmas, when they opened up a box of 100 plain white mailing envelopes, what it meant to them was we can play our game, and Papa won't get mad at us. And like any good gift, both giver and, and receiver, a good gift is when, when the giver can demonstrate, I know what you want, I know what you need, I have just the thing. And so the, the joy for my girls was partly that, yeah, now they can play their game, but also in knowing, and our dad knows what will make us happy. I knew that gift would make them happy, and I knew that it would deeply unsettle my family, and that's why I chose that gift. <laughs> you know, every culture around the world has some time of the year that's set aside for the giving and exchange of gifts. 
And for many countries in the Western part of the world, it's, it's Christmas or maybe around Epiphany, but this, this winter season, this Christmas time is when we exchange gifts because it is the time that we remember the gift that our eternal Father in heaven gave to the world when he sent his Son. Both the Apostle Paul in the letter to Titus that we heard read a minute ago, and also the angel heralds in their message to the shepherds, they say that this gift from God, from the Father to the world, the gift of his Son, is nothing less than our salvation. So Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared. Now, grace can also be translated gift. So the gift of God, the gift from God the Father to the world, that gift which is nothing less than God the Son being given in human flesh. This gift has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Or the angel herald, he says, don't be afraid, fear not. I have a message of good news. It will bring great joy to all who hear of it that today, this day, is born in Bethlehem one who will save, a Savior. Salvation has finally come to a dark and dreary world. That was the announcement of the angel, the gift of Jesus to the world is the gift of living forever in the love and the joy of God when the alternative would have been living apart from God or, to be more accurately, perishing eternally apart from God in eternal death and pain, misery, and torment. We were saved from that when Jesus came to the world. So recently, I was thinking about the incarnation, which is the fancy word that means God became human. I was thinking about the incarnation. I was thinking of the Father's gift of the Son. I was thinking of our salvation. And a verse came to mind from Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he says, Your Father in heaven knows what you need even before you ask. Your Father in heaven knows what you need even before you ask for it. And I was realizing in in light of what we're celebrating tonight that, yes, the incarnation is the example of all examples to prove the truth of that verse, that our Father in heaven knows what we need before we even ask it. I mean, no one had asked for this. No one had thought to say, you know what, God, what would be really great is if you became one of us. What do you think? No one expected this. And not only did no one expect this gift, the gift of the Father to the world, the gift of his Son, but it was certainly a gift more than we deserved. Here again, what was read to us a minute ago from Paul's letter to Titus He says, for we ourselves, and that's just an emphatic phrase meaning every single one of us, you, me, everyone, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days 
in malice and envy. Isn't that the truth? Hated by others and hating one another. That's a nice little summary of the human race, of human history right there. But he goes on to say, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, nothing that we could do to earn this immeasurable gift. Not by our works, but by His own mercy. By the washing and the new life, the regeneration, the renewal that comes through the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This gift that the Father gave to the world in giving His Son was certainly more than we deserved. But it was also more than we could have possibly dreamed of or even imagined. Again, going back to that verse from Matthew 6, when Jesus says, your Father in heaven knows what you need even before you ask it, we could also take that to mean that our Father in heaven, he knows what we need even before we know what we need. That he knows what we need even before we know what to ask for. Indeed, before Jesus came to the world, it did not seriously enter into the mind of man that God would become one of us. It never entered the wildest dreams of the Hebrew people that the God who made all things, who was so holy and unapproachable that no one could survive in his presence, that he would become man. That the selfsame God who made all of creation, would redeem all of creation by becoming a part of creation. They wouldn't have thought of that. It would have seemed impossible. In fact, it is impossible in the greatest miracle. Or when Moses was instructing Aaron and the priests about the sacrifices and how to kill the animals and what to do with the blood, it never entered the mind of those priests to think, well, really, that should be me. It never entered their mind to think that a priest one day would come who himself would be the sacrifice. And even if it had entered their mind to think that, which it didn't, but even if it had, they never would have possibly dreamed that that priest would be God himself, offering himself as a sacrifice. He became human to be able to do that. What God was preparing to do, no one could have guessed. God was holy, unapproachable. How would He come so close to us? You know, even Moses, of whom it was said, he spoke with God face to face. Of all the Old Testament figures, Moses came the closest to God, and yet even he could not truly see God's face. Even that, that verse where it says he spoke with God face to face, 
just so that we wouldn't get confused about exactly what was meant, the very next story, just a few verses later, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, I will show you my glory, but I will show you the back of my glory because you cannot see my face. For no one can see my face and live. In other words, what it meant when it says Moses spoke with God face to face, it was an expression saying that God knew Moses, and Moses knew God more intimately than others did. Yet even to him, God said, you cannot see my face, or else you will explode into a bazillion pieces. That's what the original Hebrew says. And yet in the third verse of one of my favorite Christmas hymns, Of the Father's Love Begotten, we sing, Of that birth forever blessed, when the virgin full of grace by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bore the Savior of our race. And the Lord, the world's Redeemer, first revealed His sacred face. First revealed. The night that Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph and those shepherds, they saw what no one had ever seen before. They saw the face of God. They met God face to face, truly, and not just as a figure of speech. God had become man, a gift we didn't know to ask for, that we couldn't possibly have imagined, but which our Father in heaven knew before we asked, before we knew what we needed. He had purposed to give us. And there's more. You see, we have this idea that Jesus came in order to restore Eden, to fix what was broken by Adam and Eve's sin. That salvation means putting things back the way they were before sin and death entered the world. But in fact, Jesus came to do even more than that. To be sure, he did all of that, but he came to do even more than that. Fourth century early church father Athanasius, in writing to a friend about why God became human, a little book called On the Incarnation, the most famous line from Athanasius, he says, God shared our human nature so that we could share his divine nature. You see, God's plan was not simply to raise us up to where we had been, but to raise us up to the highest possible heights. So Paul, in a different letter to the Ephesians, he says this, Now God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So there, he raised us up. But listen to what happens next. He raised us up, but he's going to raise us up further. Paul says, by grace you've been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us 
in Christ Jesus. There's that word again, grace. The immeasurable riches of this gift. Not simply to raise us up to where we had been, but to take us even further. What Paul is describing here in the letter to the Ephesians, that is something beyond what Adam and Eve ever knew, even in their perfection, even in their fellowshipping with God in the garden. So a crude analogy that doesn't even begin to capture the wonder of it might be something like the human race had a flat tire on our bicycle that we couldn't fix. And Jesus came, and he fixed the flat tire, but then he transformed the bicycle into a Corvette or a Tesla or an aircraft carrier, whatever suits your fancy. He transformed what was into something incomprehensibly more glorious. Again, to paraphrase Athanasius, why did God become one with us in our humility? So that we might become one with him in his glory. Yes. The same glory that was unapproachable before, too much for even Moses, that glory will be in us and we will share in it. Once again, this is more than we deserve. It is also more than we could have ever dreamed. It is good news indeed that you could be filled to overflowing with the very nature of God. You see, when he gives you his Holy Spirit, there's only one Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. There's not a separate Holy Spirit with which he fills us and then one that he keeps for himself. That's his true Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is what comes into you when you believe in Jesus and are baptized. The same one eternal and Holy Spirit, the essence of God, which means that the essence of what and who you are will change from what it was and even now what it is to something incomprehensibly better. That is salvation. That is what the angel announced to the shepherds. That is the gift from our Heavenly Father, which we celebrate at Christmas, that is given to all who believe in Jesus. And so in response to such a gift, what does God ask of us in return? What does God desire from us in light of so great a gift? Our trust. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to trust that He knows what you need and that He loves to give it. He wants you to trust that since he has already done for you so great a thing as giving the gift of his son for the world's salvation, that he can help you with the troubles that are before you now. So how do you show that you trust him? Even though it is true, that he knows what you need before you ask, he still 
wants you to ask. Why? Obviously, it's not so that he knows finally what you need. He already knows. Why does he still want you to ask? Because that's how you demonstrate your trust. When you ask him for what you need, when you call upon his name, you show him, in my trouble, when I don't know what to do, in my loss and grief and deprivation, I choose to trust you and I call on your name. What does God desire from you? That when you are in trouble or in need, you would ask him for help. That you would call out to Jesus. Now, this is the wonderful thing about God. What, what is his reward for helping you? What is it that he wants to help you again? To have the chance to do it again. He actually wants you to bother him. Come to him with your troubles. Call out to Jesus. Now, it's possible that as I say this, something might arise in the minds of some of you. Well, I, I asked him for something, and I didn't get what I asked for. Let me tell you another story from Christmases long ago. So one year, I asked my mother for a certain kind of winter coat. And I won't explain to you all the details or give you all the context. But all that you need to know is that if I didn't get this certain winter coat, I knew that my life would end. So Christmas Day came. I had the big box. I knew it was the coat. I opened it up, and it was the wrong coat. It was the wrong kind of coat. And with deep shame, I'd never done anything like this before, I explained to my mom, this is the wrong coat. And do you know what my mother did? We went back to the store a few days later, and she exchanged the coat that she had gotten for the coat that I needed to save my life. And we wonder, why can't God be as good as an earthly parent? My mom saw how important this was for me, so she went and she changed coats out of love for me. Couldn't God have at least as much compassion as a human being? And when you get to that point and you're asking those questions, just know this. At moments like this, God is asking you, will you trust me completely? Okay, you've trusted me this far. Will you trust me all the way, totally, whatever happens? Will you believe that I am good and that I know even better than you what you really need and that I will give it? By the way, th that coat didn't save my life. Uh, it failed to solve the problem that I so desperately needed it to solve. In the end, God took care of my problem in a way that I wouldn't have wanted, but which, of course, in the end, was about at least three million times better than I could have imagined or manufactured for myself. So this Christmas, remember that your loving Father in heaven has given you the most wonderful gift of his son, Jesus, to be your savior and to be the savior of the whole world. And so this Christmas,
Would you give him the gift of your unconditional, wholehearted, and childlike trust in him? Let me pray for you. Father, you are trustworthy and you are so good. And you know each heart here tonight and those who are trusting you now with a whole heart and those who are struggling to trust you. I pray that now, just by your gift, by your grace and the opening of your hand, you would shower upon my brothers and sisters here that gift of faith to believe and to trust in you, whatever they are facing, and that their ability to trust in you now would be rooted in their belief that, Jesus, you came to this earth, you became one of us, to die for us, to save us from sin and death and everlasting ruin, to raise us up to everlasting glory with you. Lord, let us believe this and let us show that we believe it in our lives every moment. Pour out that gift and the ability to trust, and may there be testimonies and stories of how we trusted in you and found that you did indeed deliver us. You gave us what we needed. We pray this, Lord, that your name might be glorified in our lives and in all the earth. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.